0: You're listening to the True Life Church podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from Lead Pastor Joshua Smith.
1: Hello, good morning. morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, Thankful that uh, we can be in a country uh, where... At least for the time being, we can worship God freely um, and speak the truth. So let's enjoy it. Future generations may not have this opportunity, so let's make the most of the time. This is our final week uh, in the series of Nehemiah. Uh, So if you're just now catching up with us, there are 11 previous weeks to go back and check up on on our podcast. Uh, We're on Facebook uh, videos and stuff. So this is our fast week, uh, last week. We're gonna be uh, not recapping too much today, but trying to close this series out in in kind of a simple fashion. Um, because it's it's almost kind of sad. So we're just gonna sit in this moment at the last chapter or so of Nehemiah together, and let the Word of God do what it is going to do. And uh, every time we read it and open and study, We are changed. Um, Last week was an important week for us. And so if you missed that too, I just want to recap because that will also set the stage for where we are going today. And the Israelites kind of had this moment again of repentance, of coming back to the Lord and realizing that they had not done what the law had commanded them to do, keeping uh, the Sabbath for giving the tithe for for um, honoring the 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 priests and the priesthood and the responsibilities that they had and a few other different things, and what we talked about last week was that not in its entirety but in a sense, the Sabbath is a tithe of time. All right, there's 168 hours a week, uh, and uh, we went over a lot of uh, details and statistics, kind of information. Uh, last week about how the average American, even the average Christian American, chooses to spend their time. And it's kind of a disappointment because what we find out through a bunch of different studies and research, and again you can listen to last week's message if you want to go through all of that again, but uh, is that we find that the average church-going, Bible-reading, praying Christian spends 40 minutes a week in their spiritual life. makes up less than 1% of the overall time that they have during the week. So at some point, I realize I'm preaching to the choir. You're actually the exception, not the rule. You are here, and I'll guarantee you that you're going to spend at least 40 minutes here this morning. But for the average Christian... Average American Christian, that's not even on their radar. They take that 168 hours, and they spend 8.2 of it on average driving. If they have Netflix or Disney+, Plus, the average Netflix or Disney+, Plus user watches over three hours a day of content. The average American child is involved in between 6 and 24 hours a week. Of extracurricular activities. Dance mania, all-star palm, you know, division two national-ish champions and and so forth. Soccer, lacrosse, chess. Anyone do chess? Anyone? No? Yeah, alright. I loved chess. I was on the chess team. My school had one, so you know how nerdy I really was. And so what we find is that the average American Christian, and you may find yourself too often, if you're honest with yourself, drifting into this category of taking whatever remainder is left of your time, and then maybe in that time you will give it to the Lord. Maybe. But friends, that is the opposite of giving the first fruits. In Genesis, we mentioned that he uh, had Cain... And he had Abel, right? Now, often we know that Cain killed Abel, right? But that was born out of the jealousy because the Lord well-received Abel's offering, his sacrifice, his first fruits. And Cain brought what was not required or desired or less than. I guarantee you this week you probably know what your schedule is about to look like. You know when you're going to work, don't you? You know you have, hopefully some of you, tomorrow off. You know school is done. You may have even planned out when you're going to go see the new Top Gun or Down Abbey movie. You might have tons of things on your calendar. But if you have not planned out a tithe of time already, this very moment, for this next week... You're not bringing your first fruits to God of time. You may know everything else on your calendar of where you're going to do and what you have planned. And we find out again is that the average Christian American has nothing planned for the Lord. Maybe they'll go to church. Maybe they'll open the Bible. Maybe they'll pray. From Ephesians chapter 5, last week we read a verse in 16 that encouraged us to make the best use of the time. Again, so you have 168 hours a week. I encourage you today, before you get into tomorrow, that you know where your time is going to be spent. Carve out time already. Say, I will be here and meet with God. I will open His word and I will pray. Because maybe don't cut it. We've been, in again, in the series of Nehemiah, kind of centered around this concept that we have to build and fight. Nehemiah returned to the homeland of Jerusalem, which he had never been in was allowed to go, as permission was allowed to go from King Artaxerxes of Persia, who still ruled over the people of Israel, but they were allowed to return and rebuild the broken down city. And it wasn't easy. We've recapped and 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 we've been in this story for the last now 12 weeks today. So we've been in this story. I don't have to go through all of that again. Hopefully you have read or reread listened or re-listened to where we've been. And it was not easy. There was many challenges, many people who wanted to tear him down. Sanballat, Tobiah, the Ashdodites, the Ammonites, and other peoples who didn't want Jerusalem rebuilt. And there are so many things we have pulled out of this series that I want to encourage you to, to spend some more time on. But one of the biggest ones is this idea of building and fighting that you and I right now are building multiple things at least we should be first of all we should be building our own spiritual life our own spiritual disciplines that's just ourselves reading in the word praying without ceasing giving thanks in all circumstances let worship and making melodies with our hearts the word says constantly be invading and overflowing out of our life so we should be building our spiritual life second of all we should be building in our homes children how can you build you're like that's mom and dad's job no 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 children you can build by doing what ephesians chapter 5 tells you to do obey your father and mother and that's not new that's old testament from the 10 commandments Honor your father and mother. That's how you can do that. Listen and obey. For in doing that as a child, you will learn better how to be a child of God. So children, you can be a part of that work too. Moms and dads and primarily dads in the home, the fathers, the husbands. If you are not a father yet, you may be a husband. If you're not a husband or a father yet, prepare now. Some of you young men out there that I see that aren't married yet. A couple of you. Some new on your journey. Some seasoned veterans. Make the best use of the time. Lead your families well. Oftentimes I reference uh, some fraternity brothers I had. I had an opportunity to talk to one this morning because earlier uh, he sent me a text uh, this morning that um, one of the fraternity brothers from college uh, lived his last day yesterday. And we we're trying to find out the details of why he has no today. And so my friend and I were talking on the phone, and he was asking me, Aren't you doing the church thing? Because I was surprised that I called him. He knows what I do. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Like, are you going with with your wife? Nah, we're going to turn it on. You should go. Yeah, I know. It's on you. Yeah, I know, he says. I don't mean that to put him down. He's one of my very bestest, bestest, bestest ever friends. But my encouragement to him would be the same as to you, men. Lead your families well. Make the best use of the time. Build in the home. Build in our communities. Build in this church. Edifying and lifting up each other with encouraging words, never-ending prayers, kind thoughts. Who says Sunday has to be the only time you interact with each other? As bad as it is, a blessing can be this thing called Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, Discord, and other things you may have use those tools to reach out to reach out and talk with one another. Hey, how can I pray for you today? I didn't get a chance to talk to you much on Sunday. What's going on in your life? Would you like to meet up for coffee? How's lunch? Encourage us to be getting together, building this church. And if we're going to do this building, it's going to require at some point us to fight for what we are building. It's not easy. Jesus didn't promise easy. So we're going to build and fight. Part of, in order to do that, they were building a wall. In Nehemiah, and and what does a wall do? What's a wall's primary function? Separation. A wall's primary function is to separate whatever's over here from whatever's over there. Now, that might require the wall to protect. If you're in a recording studio, you don't need protection. You need sound insulation. So that wall will be built differently than the outside of a castle. These walls are, have to be two-hour fire-rated walls, whatever. A couple weeks ago, if the opportunity had continued to come, they would have come in handy with the fire on Mother's Day. That fire stayed that way because everything was two-hour firewall-rated. So the wall's primary job is to separate something from something else. And at some point, you and I have to realize that the wall's of our modern-day Christianity-American Jerusalem have been torn down. And there is way too much going back and forth between out there and the in here. And I'm not talking about true life church. I'm talking about the sin that we permit into our borders. Borders of our relationships, our families, our homes, our friendships, The sin that we allow to creep in. And the sin is sometimes we allow ourselves to go out and simply just embrace. We, if we are building, will have to put up a wall at some point. To separate yourselves from what the world may say is okay but you know biblically for us it is not finally in Nehemiah chapter 10 last week we covered that they had neglected the house of the Lord and they have read and reread and reread and re 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 reread the law at this point the first 5 books of our Old Testament again and again and again. They're like, ah, we need to do something about that. We have not brought the tithes. We have not done the wood or the grain offering. We have not given to the priests or the Levites. We have neglected the house of our God. And so they make this promise, this covenant, and they put their names down on it. They say, we will not neglect the house of our God. So that's where we're going to pick up a little bit after that in our Reading this morning. So I invite you to stand now as we read Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. Again, I was trying earlier this morning to put these notes on there to print. I can't even print on the printer, I can't sync it to my iPad. Um, so there may or may not be anything on screen because uh, I didn't realize that apparently my computer is the problem. Uh, so Nehemiah chapter 12 verses 27 through 43, and let us read together. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nataphathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I, Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went south on the wall to the dung gate, and then after them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah, Nazariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Milali, Gilalai, Ma'ai, Nethanel, Judah, Hanani, and with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe, went before him, and that is the same Ezra from the previous book that we have read. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed with them with half of the people. On the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Eloini, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. And Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and as we will continue in its reading and its proclamation, may its truth stir our hearts up for good works, humble us, and build us up for the fight that lays ahead of us. God, give us the strength and the courage to not just be hearers of this word this morning, but be doers of it as well. In your name we pray, amen. Maybe seated. For this first moment, I'm going to read this before we go into the final chapter of not only this book, but our series today. And basically, just land with this. We've read a lot of different names, but you have two choirs going up on opposite ends of the city, and they're going to lift up a great noise, a great shout choirs and trumpets. And that last lie there the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The children, the women, the men, the trumpets, everyone was rejoicing. So the first thing we see is that this worship of the Lord is a family endeavor. It's one of the reasons why I have uh, pushed so hard from the moment I came from the church in Atlanta that our children, per their ages, will be in worship with us. We don't disregard them or shuttle them off permanently to a place where they don't get an opportunity to worship. Even our little treehouse in the nursery, they worship back there. I've been in churches and know of churches where people were sectioned off by their age group. And so, what we have, the American church has developed over time, is it feels weird for a young person today, a Gen X, a millennial, a Gen Z, even to worship with someone outside of their demographic. So, you have a young person coming in. Never ever sitting next to an old person. An old person coming in and never having an opportunity to model for the next generation what worship of our God is or should be. So we have a disconnect. One of the things I love about where we have been in the book of Nehemiah has been very clear, very plain, that the women and the children had an opportunity to learn, to know what the law said to participate, to understand even, to have things broken down to their level. And then now we see they are involved in the celebration and the worship and the dedication of the wall. And in a way, it's almost like what Jesus says, let the little children come to me. We're not going to offload them. The disciples want to, no, 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 we're not going to bother. We're not going to pester Jesus with the little ones. And in a Nehemiah-like way, Jesus says, no, 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 everyone. Everyone involved for the word and the worship. So parents, do not disregard the opportunity you have to model worship for your children. I promise you this. If you do not sing, neither will your children. They will grow up modeling what you do or do not do. And it takes years, if not a life-changing experience, for someone to do anything other Than what your parents have grown up teaching you. And so, if you come in with arms folded instead of raised, lips sealed instead of singing, what do you think your children will do? They will do what they see mom and dad doing. They do not care about the quality or timbre of your voice. Wouldn't it be nice if it was heard? If it was modeled. And you encourage your children, like Psalm 95 says, to make a joyful noise, to sing to the Lord. The worship of our God is a family effort. And any child in this room will never be turned away from the opportunity to listen, hear, and respond. Now, yes, that may open an opportunity for discipline or discussion. So then we'll have it. But that's okay. Because where else is something like this going to happen? Secondly, from this passage we read this morning, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. We know who's making the joy. We know who is joyful. The men, the choirs, everyone, the whole City divided up on two different highest points with choirs and instruments, all proclaiming the name of the Lord. And there was much joy, and that joy was heard from far away. So we must ask ourselves this question Does our land hear the worship of our God? Or are we not loud enough? I'm going to pick on him right now just because I can, and secondly, because I care. But I've been teaching Samuel uh, piano lessons for about the last three years. And you have had the privilege of uh, and the joy of having him play up here over the last six or seven months or so, maybe nine at this point now, as he's migrated and moving around to different positions and his knowledge and talent gets a little bit more developed. And pretty much the, the last two to three lessons he and I have had have come down to this one point, play louder, It's not a talent issue, it's a volume issue. So I'm picking on him because, and you can hold him accountable now also. (laughs) Say, I couldn't hear you this morning. Play louder. Play louder. I texted Ryan Vargas, who's running our sound system, privately as we were going through rehearsal this morning. Hey, Samuel doesn't play the keyboard quite as loud as Kristen. We may have to compensate. Okay. Got it. He's learning. He's growing. And I'm thankful that he's using his time and his talent up here in the worship of our Lord. So thank you. And, and, play louder. We want the joy of our Lord to be heard from far away, right? If your coworker cannot hear your praise, you are too quiet. I'm not allowed to sing at work. Who said anything about singing? Did they not know that you worship the true and living God? Did they not know that you honor and revere Jesus Christ as Lord? If so, if your worship needs to be louder. I'm giving you free permission to be that annoying Christian person. And own it. One of the reasons that our country is in the mess it's in is because somewhere along the way the praise of God stopped being louder. And we have made noise towards other efforts and endeavors, social justice,
0: movements,
1: lifestyle choices etc. So let us sing when we have an opportunity without abandon. Let us make music and melody in our hearts to the Lord. And as far as our house and yours let the joy for our God and what he has done be heard far away. Going into our final chapter this morning, we're going to skip around just a little bit at first so that we understand what's going on, because we're going to read it here. And it, it, we, we will find out that things aren't exactly listed in order. So I'm going to give you a little bit of, of insight, and we're going to read it just six verses in. So Nehemiah has been governor, governor for a good period of time here. And then for an unknown amount of time, uh, most scholars say between 2 to 15 years, Nehemiah uh, has to, needs to, or chooses to return to the kingdom of Persia. Or Artaxerxes again. So he's probably saying, okay, we've dedicated the wall. Uh, the city has been rebuilt. I've got leaders in place. We have read the law. People understand it. feel like things are in a decent place. Um, for me to go uh, and return and maybe come back and check on it later. Uh, it's in good hands. I can step away for, for a bit. And so he's gone for a period of time. I want to leave that there as we now pick up into chapter 13. And on that day, <clears throat> we are going into verse 44, and then we'll continue into chapter 13. And on that day, this is the day of celebration and dedication, and men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather them into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph... There were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. So they're keeping their covenant that made in chapter 10. So we will not neglect the house of our God. And so far, <clears throat> they are doing that. On that day, chapter 13 now, verse 1, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people yet again the law. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam, and this is going back into history, we're going there momentarily, against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. So again, here's the wall mentality of separating ourselves for the worship of our God from the world. Now before this, and this is important here, before this had gone down, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king... And came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib, again the high priest, the guy who should know better, had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of our God. Pause here. So we have this period of time where they said, we will not neglect the house of our God. And then after a bit, what do they do? They, they break the promise. In fact, the man who should know better... Eliashib, the high priest, carves out rooms in the temple for this guy, Tobiah. Now, do you remember who Tobiah is? Let's recall. Let's go back. Hooray! Turn with me, keep your finger there in chapter 13, and go back to the beginning of this book in chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, and verse um, 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah, yes, this Tobiah, Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, of them rebuilding the wall, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And from this point on, Tobiah and Sanballat are like arch rivals, arc enemies of what Nehemiah and God's people are trying to build there. So Tobiah, an enemy has been allowed in to have a room in the temple, in the house of God. Just a little bit of a no-no, anyone? Right? Furthermore, it's not just that he was an arch enemy of Nehemiah. Who was he? We don't have too many details, but let's find out, read it again. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the who? The Ammonite. All right? Now... Now, I'll go back to the beginning of chapter 13 again. They read from the book of Moses and the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of our God. Now, let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 6 Actually, we're going to start in verse 1 because we're going to make people squeamish and then it's actually going to be for a purpose. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. <clears throat> no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Every guy was like, yeah. Right? 2. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Here we go, chapter 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor, from Pathor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. So you would think that after all the times... After all the times reading the law that we've read about, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, hearing again day after day after day after day, you think someone would have said, hey, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord ever. But the leader steps away, Nehemiah, thinks he's got things put in place, and who of all people but Eliashib, the high priest, lets Tobiah Ark enemy of Nehemiah and Ammonite into the house of God. We need to understand the severity of what's gone on there. Nehemiah was not there. And it's not an excuse here in verse 6. Oh, sorry, I wasn't there. It's like, wow, look what happened while I was away. Now back into chapter 13. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber Then I gave orders, verse 9, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Now, there's a little tiny note here, and I gave orders. And when Nehemiah says, I did something, I did something, and I gave orders, Nehemiah most likely was not allowed in the house of God. That's why I went back to chapter 23, verse 1, about the whole testicles thing. Most likely, Nehemiah was a eunuch from his time in Persia. If you don't know what that is, men, you can probably figure it out. You must have gonads to enter house of God. Nehemiah can't enter house of God. You do the math. He's minus two very important things. So he probably can't go in. Nehemiah has to give orders to clear out the temple. And all this was allowed in his absence. So I gave orders and they cleaned out the house of God. And put back there the vessels with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out, as if that's not enough... That the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. They're out there working because no one they stopped being paid. The offerings stopped coming in. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses... Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zachar, son of Mattaniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. What, why are their names there? Because he's replaced the leadership. The other guys couldn't get it done. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for His service. And in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And again, these were people who have read the law. Who have made the promise and the covenant says, we won't do these things. We just read two chapters ago. And here they are, doing these things bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, they weren't supposed to, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah Judah, in Jerusalem itself! Exclamation mark. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. I'm pause there. What we see here is that the evilness and the sinfulness that was allowed began at the very top. Eliashib, the high priest, allowed Tobiah into the house of God. And from there, things got relaxadaisical. Really Pretty soon, everybody was disobedient. And for us, a Christian walk that says you can have a faith in God and still do anything you want goes against the word of God. But there are many, many, many people out there today that say exactly that. Oh, I believe in God. And you still think it's okay to do X, Y, and Z, live in such a way. What we see is that certain issues and things like this pervasion of homosexuality, transsexuality, and, and abortion, and, and countless other things yes, they're all hot button issues because they're all sinful. They're all against the Word of God. The problem is that the church has become lenient in these areas. Capital C Church. Hopefully you've been here long enough, and if you don't, you know where, our, where we stand on that. We stand on the Word of God. If it's sin in the Word of God, then it's sin for us. But there are many denominations and churches and peoples removing themselves from the sanctity and sovereignty of God's word. And saying hey we, we'll, we'll leave this part out. We don't believe that sin. These days. Anymore. And so it starts at the top. And because the church has allowed it. The world will embrace it. And they have broken these, This covenant. This promise that they made. To be separate from the world. They had promised to not intermarry. With the people of the land. They had broken their promise to honor God. And they are doing work and selling things on the Sabbath, even within the city walls of Jerusalem. They had promised to give the required temple tax. They had promised to give to God and finances and offerings. They had promised to take care of the provisions for the temple and the wood sacrifices. And they had promised to serve God. And they had promised to continue to give the firstborn of all that they had, including their sons, to the Lord. Now remember we talked last week that the sons were redeemed by the blood of a lamb, and a lamb was sacrificed so that the son knew he was paid for, bought with a price. And they have failed all five of these major tenets of their promise. So Nehemiah has every right to be upset, right? And for further reading on this, take... Take your Bible home and, and look at Malachi, who is a contemporary prophet, writing near the end of this time period, Nehemiah or Malachi chapter 1 through 3. And you can read this, Woe to you, Jerusalem. It's directly applying to this. So Eliashib, the high priest, his son-in-law is Tobiah. And he's allowed him to move into the house of God. And so Nehemiah comes back, and we discover that Jesus wasn't the only one to ever cleanse the temple. Now, we don't know this, but the way he kind of acts here, he might as well have had a whip, as Jesus did. Driving people out of the house of God, and fixing things. And so he prays here, despite everything that that the people have done. He prays, remember me, oh my God. Don't, don't lump me in with the sinful evil. And throughout the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to close out here in a few minutes with this last line as well, we see Nehemiah's prayers, remember me in favor. And all of his remember thems are all the Tobiah and the sand and those who desecrated the priesthood. In other words, remember them for the evil they have done. And Lord, remember me for the good I have tried to do in your name. Hopefully, none of us fault Nehemiah in any of this, right? He was away. And to be honest, I've taken some comfort in this passage this past week kind of reminding myself that my job is to preach the word, to tell the truth, this truth. But what you do, what you do not do with the truth I have told is not on me. I have fulfilled my obligation. I have given you the truth. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink, so the saying goes. And I will, as a teacher, the Word tells us this, and all of our elders will be held to a higher standard. I'm doing my best to do that. I'm far from perfect. Last week I said that there were 180 hours in a week because I couldn't math. Not perfect. I fixed it. But I'd rather be wrong on how many hours there are in a week than be wrong in this. Nehemiah is very disappointed and angry because they had made a promise. And they were again, as James writes later, hearers of the word but turned out not to be doers. And as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the door should be Shut. Nobody enter out and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside? Get away from my wall. If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And he's not talking about in prayer. He's talking about where the sword's going to come out again. The build and the fight. Get away from my wall, or else. I will lay hands on you. And from that time on, they got the word. They did not come on the Sabbath, because he took a stand. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor. Here we go again. Oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days, also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Again, we just, they, they said that we weren't going to intermarry. Yes, here they are, intermarried with all these people. What's the product of that? Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod. They could not speak the language of Judah. We're like, okay, so he's bilingual. Big big deal. What does that mean? That means he can't read or understand the word. Because they don't speak that language. This is long before the days of choose your own translation. And having every language. The word of God was in Hebrew. That's it. If they didn't speak it, how could they read it? They couldn't read it, how could they know it? And if they didn't know it, how could they be obedient to it? They couldn't speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confirmed them and cursed them. And check out what he does here. And beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I like, guess kind of mean. You bet it is. I could see Nehemiah dragging some little, you know, ratty seven year old kid up and down the streets, pulling his hair out. <laughs> like, what? What did I do? And I made them take an oath, come here kids, listen up, in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And again, here we have the separation thing. Being separate from the world. And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat. Here he is again. A different guy, not Tobiah now, but Sanballat. The son-in-law of Eliashib the high priest was Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, you better believe he chased him from him. You! Oh. oh! We knew. By this point, he would have known the rivalry. He would have known what went down. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign. And I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. So Nehemiah is disappointed and angered at what has gone down here. And he replaces the leaders and says, All right, if you're not going to do it, We will put people in place who will. Briefly, and you don't have to, I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 12 here specifically. Jesus says, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And at first glance, that might not seem fair for Jesus to say, well, he didn't even have anything. What would he even take away? But here we see this played out literally in Nehemiah. There were the leaders who should have known better, should have been leading the people and the law and the feasts and the tabernacles and honoring the Sabbath and the offerings and the tithes and the first fruits and the separation from the world and from the other people. They knew and did not act. They should have known better. So Nehemiah replaced the leadership For the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, and they did not have an obedience to the word, they did not have the responsibility of leadership leading the people towards what they had promised. And so it was taken away from them. New leaders put in place. This is a lesson for us this morning. That as you have the opportunity to lead in your homes, to build and to fight for the kingdom of God within your families, within your friendships. If you are not beholden to this, what you may think you have may be taken away. Finally, we're just going to tie this off, this entire series of building and fighting with just a few simple words three specifically and we see here from the verse 10 pretty much all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 31 that Nehemiah does what he needs to do he cleanses out the temple he puts new leaders in place he instructs the Levites and has them purify themselves and go back to doing what they should be doing. He closes the gate on the Sabbath. And once again, Nehemiah has to essentially rebuild Jerusalem. Not the wall, but now everyone who's being disobedient on the inside. And he's even pulling the hair out of little kids up and down the street and beating them. Like, that's not nice. And again, no, it wasn't. And he's chasing the sons of his ark enemy Away from him. Just get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. So despite the discouraging legacy that you may think that this book has, I I would disagree. Because on on one hand, yes, it's disappointing that the Israelites, after making their promise, once again returned to being disobedient. But there's a reason that God has ordained this book to close out the way that it does. We see two things. Number one, that with right action and repentance, you can be right with God again. So they come back forcefully. But yes, and from this day for the next 450 years until Jesus arrives... They do a pretty decent job, mostly, of sticking with this. Are they perfect? No. But they never fall this far back again. So it's never too late to repent and come back to the Lord. Secondly this is where we have those three little words. We see what Nehemiah really does in this. And he comes back. And he has a backbone. And those are the three words. Have a backbone. He has a a stand. He knows what is good and acceptable. He knows what is not. And Nehemiah does not put up with anybody's. Ish. There's no time for that. There's no room for that. The house of God, Tobiah, get out, is no place for that. There's no room for that here. And so Nehemiah does what was customary at the day with little ones and children and adults to rebuke and, 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 and beat and pull hair out. These were normal, customary things to be done for for a punishment. Even, um, we see this even through World War II. That women and sympathizers for the Nazi party, once the the troops came through, what did they do? If you know your history, they shaved the women's heads and, and painted giant swastikas on them for being a Nazi sympathizer. Shaving of the head and pulling of the hair, even in Middle East and in Europe is a, a common thing for, for punishment, for rebuke. It grows back for some of us. <laughs> but it was so that everybody else could see, hey, they, they, they messed up. After a time, no one could tell again. But that was a common thing. So Nehemiah has a backbone. I think, and this is my opinion here, I think that today's modern Christians are far too weak. Weak in spirit. Weak in action. Weak in thought. They don't have a backbone. They, like we've read here, have let other things into the city. Intermarrying different beliefs. Accepting different sins and lifestyles thinking all is okay and everything is good and God is just he's all love and flowers and unicorns and skittles and it's all okay there is a judgment coming friends for you and for me and you might not like to think about it but guess what there it is judgment is coming One day, you and I will have to stand before Jesus and give an account of our actions, what we did or did not do. And I can guarantee you, it will be better if you have a backbone. and said, I did not put up for this. Remember me, oh my God, for the things that I have done in your name. It is coming. So I want to close with this. In light of that, Nehemiah was gone for some years and returned to find out that the people had been rebellious and disobedient. One day, Jesus will return. What will he come back to? You see, the church wins, God wins. We know that revelation is there. God wins. So why would we waste one more minute of our life playing for the wrong team? In everything we say and do. Friends have a backbone. You may be mocked or ridiculed for it. Someone may call you a bigot. Non-inclusive. They might get triggered or offended. Oh no! Offend them for this. Call them to repentance for this. Stand on this. Have a backbone. And don't put up with none of that ish in your house anymore.
0: Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.